text for this morning's sermon is Galatians 2, 1 through 10. Galatians 2, 1 through 10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that we might, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted, I'm sorry, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I ask that you help us feel the drive of the Apostle Paul as we read this letter. Let us know something of his allegiance to the gospel and to you. God, I pray that you would help us desire to be in step with this gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to ask you a, a question. I know you're going to look at your bulletin here and find out if this is really a Baptist church, but how well do you dance? How well do you dance? Now, if you knew Baptist history, <laughs> you would know that a lot of church discipline was done on Baptists who danced. Baptists have become less legalistic and more in step with the gospel <laughs> rather than the law of legalism by the grace of God. But if you're like me, you might not be real confident in your dance moves. There's probably a few here that love dances because you're those people that when you go to a a wedding dance, and there's always one or two couples out there that are just like totally dominating and showing off, 
right? They just totally know how to dance. And what does everybody know? Well, they've had dance lessons. It's obvious they have all this practice, and that's why they are so good. Well, the point of Paul's argument in this text that we look at today can be understood in this realm of dancing. And let me just remind you of what's going on uh, in this letter. First of all, let me just give you a a little outline of this whole letter. Chapters 1 and 2, Paul is arguing that the gospel he preaches is from God. And he's articulating clearly what the gospel of God is, chapters 1 and 2. In chapters 3 and 4, he continues to do that, but he begins to talk about how this gospel creates a new multi-ethnic family. Through Christ, Jews and Gentiles are brought into the same family, not through circumcision, but through the gospel. And here's the question coming to him. The question is, is how can a Gentile who knows nothing of the law of God, how can they be a part of the people of God when they're not required to keep the law? And Paul's answer is in chapters 5 and 6, where he says, here's the miracle. When these Gentiles believe, the Spirit of Jesus Christ comes inside of them so that they can understand the law of God, the law of Christ, so that they can actually bring about the fruits of the Spirit that the flesh cannot do. And so... The question is, how can these Gentiles be people of God and not have to keep the law? And the answer is, Christ kept the law like no other man could perfectly. And when a person trusts in Christ by faith for forgiveness of their sins, they're brought into the family of God and the Holy Spirit comes inside of them so that they actually can have the desire to keep the law and not do it from a wrong heart. So this is our letter, and it seems like there's two main things. These false teachers that have come into these Galatian churches, they're young churches. Paul's been on one missionary journey to them. He kind of hit them twice, though, as he went through. And quickly after he left, these Judaizers come in and they say, this Paul, he got his gospel from the apostles over here. The apostles kind of have it right, but he's distorted it. And he's gotten rid of circumcision. So don't listen to him. And then they say, what you need to do, Gentiles, all you new believers in Galatia, in uh, the southern Galatia, 
You need to be circumcised if you want to be a part of, of the people of God. So what does all this have to do with dancing? Last week, remember what Paul's argument was? That this gospel was from God. He didn't get it from the apostles. And if you look back at Galatians 1.16, I want you to just follow his argument because it's going to help us as we look at chapter 2. After he was saved, God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem. That's where the apostles would be. To those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. He's saying, you're saying I got this gospel from these apostles and then I distorted it? No, I got saved. I preached in Damascus and then I went away to Arabia for three years. I came back and spent 15 days with Peter. Three years after I've already been preaching the gospel, his argument is, don't tell me this is man's gospel, that I got it from the apostles and now I've distorted it. And then in verses 18 and 19, then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, remained with them 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. And then in verse 21, then I went into the regions of Syria and Cecilia. I was still unknown, an unknown person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. He's saying, this is the apostles' territory and they didn't know who I was. They were only hearing and said, he who persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. So he's kind of saying, I've already been preaching in that region a little bit, and they weren't telling me, you have a false gospel. I didn't go learn this from the apostles over here. I learned it right from Christ himself. It's God's gospel. And now he transitions a little bit. Now he talks about when he actually does go to see the apostles. And so this would be point one in your notes. Be discerning and do not yield to the slavery of a different gospel. Look at what he says. Verse one of chapter two. Then after 14 years, so let's just stop here for a minute. There's a debate. Is this 14 years after Paul spent three years in Arabia? Or is this 14 years from the time he was saved? And I'm leaning towards from the time he was saved, so are the majority of the scholars. It seems to fit better. And uh, so then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. So it's not like he spent a lot of time with these apostles. He went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Ah, this is a Titus test. Titus is an uncircumcised Gentile. And Paul is going to the apostles. He went to Jerusalem. And, and here's what we 
Read. I went up because of a revelation set set before them. Though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not run, had not run in vain. So by some revelation, Paul was told to go up to Jerusalem. Uh, most people think this was Agabus's uh, uh, prophecy that there's going to be a famine and that Paul w- should bring uh, aid to the poor Jerusalem church, especially if a famine is coming. So we don't know for sure what the revelation was, but God directed Paul that he was supposed to go up to Jerusalem. And it's interesting, interesting, he says, though privately before those who seemed influential. So he's like, this was a private meeting among the apostles. And then he says, why, why did he go up to set before them the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles? The same gospel I've been preaching for 14 years, I brought right to Jerusalem, right to the influential leaders of Jerusalem, in order to make sure that I had not run in vain. Now let me tell you what this does not mean. Paul is not doubting his gospel one ounce. If you've been following so far in this letter, He's not worried that his gospel is wrong. He wants to find out if the apostles in Jerusalem are working against him. Is he going around on these missionary journeys preaching the gospel and are the leaders in Jerusalem contradicting that gospel? In a practical sense, it would be like it's in vain. They're working against each other. If there's two churches, a Gentile church and a Jewish church, then the, it's a gospel that's given in vain. The whole point of the gospel is to save anyone who trusts in Christ by faith, both Jew and Gentile. The reason why God chose the Jewish people was so they could be a blessing to the Gentiles. So he shows up with Titus and with his gospel that he's been preaching to the Gentiles to find out if he had run in vain. Look at verse 3. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though... He was a Greek. Aha. So much for the claims of these false teachers. They're not saying that Paul has a different gospel. Surely they would have forced Titus to be circumcised if that's what it required to become part of the people of God. It's interesting. He's saying, my gospel and the apostles' gospel seem to be lining up even though I didn't hang out with them for 14 years. Is it possible that two people who've never danced before enter onto a dance floor and know all of each other's moves? Or is something supernatural going on? Is Paul is Paul's gospel actually 
going to be in step with the apostles' gospel? They didn't require Titus to be circumcised. Yet, look at verse 4, because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom. Let's just stop here. False brothers. People who claim to be Christians who aren't Christians, the sneaky, slippery, slimy, false brothers who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so they might bring us into slavery. Who are these false brothers? They're prisoners. And they've come to spy out the freedom, not because they want to be free, but because they want to grab those who are on the verge of being free, who are free, and bring them back with them into slavery. What Paul knew is that wherever a church of God is, there's going to be false brothers who are going to look like Christians, maybe even confess a lot of good things. They may even be really nice and really charismatic and might even seem more loving than other people. But they're there to pull people into slavery. Whether they know it or not, they might even be deceived and not know that they themselves are in slavery. But they come to look at this freedom, to spy it out so that they might bring some into slavery. You want to know something about the Apostle Paul? What he might have been like? Read verse 5. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment. Why not? So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen to me. The battle you're getting hit with right now with these false teachers... I've seen that battle. I've seen these guys. I knew they were going to slip in when I left. And he says, but I'll tell you what. We did not. That's the key. Isn't that what it says? Verse 5. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Could it be that Paul and the apostles were in lockstep in this dance not to yield for a moment to these false teachers? See, Paul hasn't perverted the apostles' gospel. He wasn't one of their understudies who then has distorted the gospel. No, miraculously, God has given the gospel to both of them, and neither of them have yielded in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. Now, 
You might think, well, that's me. I'd do that. Here's the problem. These false brothers have faces. And most of the people in the church love them and respect them. So to not yield in submission, even for a moment, means that there's an actual person you're opposing. Their message, you're exposing a false gospel. Paul has already said, anyone who preaches another gospel will go to hell, will be accursed. He's calling these people false brothers. Can you see people that aren't before you right now, that are worthy to fight for, when that person right there is distorting the gospel of Christ? It's tougher than you think. And proof is look at all the former Christian universities across this country. Let me just read a little piece for you from J.A. Appleyard. I wrote an article called The Secularization of the Modern University. The opening paragraph. It is well known that most colleges and universities founded in the U.S. before the 20th century had strongly religious and usually Protestant Christian character and that virtue are, I'm sorry, usually Protestant Christian character and virtually all of these institutions have no significant religious identity today. The best known example is Harvard, founded for the provision of a learned ministry, whose motto for three centuries was Christo et Ecclesia. But scores of other institutions, including Yale and Princeton, Chicago, Stanford, Duke, Boston University, and even publicly funded state universities such as Michigan and California had pronounced Christian character in the early years of their existence and abandoned it in the 20th century. Most of these presidents were clergymen. People trained in the Bible. And now they're secular universities. The gospel has long been lost. Why? As soon as you get rid of the authority of God's Word, as soon as you forget whose gospel it is, and you just slide on one little point, the Bible's not inherent. Here's where you end up. If you let the gospel be perverted for the sake of a nice professor that everyone loves or a president that has done so much good, it's going to leave a wake of people affected because that gospel has not been fought for. Look at the denominations that have lost the gospel. We have forgotten that Apostle Paul is our model. That not for a moment did we back down to those who would pervert the gospel of God. Remember, 
Remember this. Who is the Apostle Paul seeking to please? Where's happiness? Here's what Paul's learned. Happiness doesn't come from the praise of men, but it comes in the presence of the Lord. Psalm 16.11 That in His presence are pleasures forevermore. He sought to please God in God alone. And he knew that true happiness for the church would only come if they stuck with God's Gospel. D.A. Carson says this, one generation believes something. And what he means is this, believes something. There's a generation that's willing to die for what they believe. One generation believes something, the next generation assumes it. The children of those parents say, I'm a Christian. Yeah, and I have the church. They take for granted the fact that there's a church still preaching the gospel. When so many churches have gone astray. And so they just assume it, and a third generation will forget and deny. That's how the process goes. But what Paul gives us as an example is that we fight for the gospel. Which means that you might be unpopular. If you know what the gospel is, and you have a place of influence to protect people who are being led astray, are you willing to fight for that gospel? Are you willing to speak up? Is it worth it? It's going to be an uncomfortable exchange. See how practical it is. so easy to just say, Oh yeah, of course you fight for the gospel. Well, that's always cost Christians. It's always cost Christians to fight for the gospel. So be discerning and do not yield to the slavery of a different gospel. Be discerning. Listen to what people say. Look at the preacher's life. Is it in step? Point two, be discerning and recognize gospel faithfulness and grace. Look at what the apostles saw and perceived in Paul. Look at verse six. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. He's not saying, I don't care about the apostles, but here's what he is saying. You better not venerate an apostle. What is it? This is God's gospel. Those who seemed influential, these are the pillars of the church. We're going to find out this is Peter, James, and John. What? What, are you going to venerate them? It's not their gospel. It's God's gospel. That's, that's why he's talking this way. And from those who seemed influential, what they were to me makes no difference. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential 
added nothing to me. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I came preaching the gospel I preached to the Gentiles and the big shots in Jerusalem, the apostles, they didn't add one thing to my gospel because we were in lockstep preaching the same gospel. This is amazing. They didn't add anything to me. On the contrary, verse 7, on the contrary, when they saw, so there's two things, they saw something that was going on and then in verse 9, they perceived something. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So what they recognized, they didn't add one ounce of authority to the Apostle Paul. You know what they did? They recognized the authority that Jesus Christ had given the Apostle Paul. When they saw that Paul had been called by God, another apostle, who's to target the Gentiles. Now, we shouldn't just think Paul's going to preach only to the Gentiles, not to the Jews, because that's not true. It probably has more of a territorial aspect. Paul was called to go out into Gentile territory and preach, while Peter stayed around Jerusalem. But what they recognize is the same thing happened. God called Peter and God called Paul. We've both been entrusted in the same way with the same gospel. And then, look what else they perceive. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars... This is the same language as the Ephesians uh, 2.20 that the foundation is of the church is built on the apostles, Christ being the cornerstone. The pillars there, when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we may go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They recognized the grace of God. Not only did they recognize that God had given them the same gospel and the same ministry just to different regions and to different ethnic peoples, they also recognized the grace of God on Paul's life. See, they discerned it. They saw something and they perceived the grace of God given to Paul. So I'm asking you to be discerning and recognize gospel faithfulness and the grace of God on people's lives. We should be doing this with each other all the time. Do you see the grace of God in each other? Well, we ought to recognize that. It doesn't build them up. 
in, in a way that's going to make them self-righteous. What did we just say? We saw the grace of God on someone's life. Something they want to be there apart from the mercy of God. But let's be like these apostles that were able to discern those who were entrusted with the gospel, preaching the right gospel and given the grace. Third, be discerning and live in step with the gospel. Here's the only thing. Paul says they didn't add anything to me. But look at verse 10. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. I mean, this is amazing. Here's what he's saying. He's like, I already knew that dance move. They asked me to remember the poor. I'm actually in Jerusalem bringing an offering to the poor. This is amazing how God commissioned these apostles. How Paul was saved separate from them. Jesus called Paul. Paul is destroying the arguments that were upsetting these Gentiles in these churches, in in the Galatian churches. It's amazing. Paul's saying they didn't add anything. In fact, he's already raising this money, which brings up just this practical reality. There's a way to live. There's something to do as a Christian that is in step with the gospel. Next week, we're going to look at Paul actually rebukes Peter. Peter steps on his toes, in a sense, in the dance, and Paul's like, what what are you doing? You're out of step with the gospel. That's what the text goes on to say. Peter starts living hypocritically. He's preaching the right gospel, but the way he lives actually begins to become hypocritical to the gospel. That's what we're going to look at next week, but what I want you to think about this week is notice the gospel has implications on what we do and the Holy Spirit put on both of their hearts to love people. And to the poor here, I think it's specifically the poor in Jerusalem. When a person gets saved and has the Holy Spirit in them, they desire to take care of other brothers and sisters in Christ. He's saying, I'm all, I already was eager to do that. And so what we see here is God authenticated this Gospel to Paul separately apart from the apostles. Then He shows up and the apostles are in step with Him. They don't have Titus become circumcised. They give the right hand of fellowship. They don't view him as a lone ranger. They put him as an equal. And they asked him to help the poor. And all these things show that Paul's gospel is God's gospel with the supernatural hand of God on it. So, be discerning, do not yield to the slavery of a different gospel. Let me give you a few verses from Galatians. Look at Galatians 
Remember at the beginning of the sermon, I said the question was, the Judaizers were asking us, how are these Gentiles going to live without the law of God, without being circumcised? Here's the answer, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's how. The Holy Spirit really comes inside of you. It's not by human works. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I don't nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He says, I won't do it. Christ, if righteousness were by being good enough and doing the right thing, then Jesus died for no purpose. Because He died for people who lacked righteousness. Jesus is the fullness of righteousness. And Paul's saying, if I add circumcision to that, well then Christ means nothing. Don't leave the gospel. Here's how he says it in 2.16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not justified by works of the law. Now get this, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. The Bible can't be any more clear. You will not be found not guilty because you were good enough. You will only be found not guilty because Jesus came to be your substitute and He was good enough. You are saved by works, but it's not your works. It's Jesus' works on your behalf who stands in your place And when you trust in Him by faith, you get the gift of Jesus' perfect life. And He takes your sin and absorbs the wrath of God for sin. That's the Gospel you don't ever want to give up. But it sounds good. You know, someone might say, yeah, but you got to do, you got to go to church and you got to take communion. You got to do this to be saved. That all sounds maybe religious but it leaves you with no gospel. By the works of the law, no one will be justified. Galatians 3.10 For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the law and to do them. If you want to go the law way, you got to do it all. you got to be perfect. See, God never gave us the law to save us. What the law is, is it's like a magnifying glass that looks down on our... When God gave us the law, it's like holding a magnifying glass up to our sin and we go, whoa, I really break it. I knew I was a sinner. Now I know I'm really a sinner. And God puts His own righteousness on display in the law. The law is good. You know, here's what you should be. Whoa, That exposes my sin. But the law was never meant to save, but to convict of sin and chase people to the Savior, to to Christ. Second, be discerning, recognize the Gospel, faithfulness, and grace. And the third thing we looked at is be discerning, 
and live in step with the Gospel. And we'll look at that more next week. Let's pray. Father, thank You. It's only by supernatural power that this church exists preaching Paul's Gospel. If it were up to man, man would have left the Gospel a long time ago. God, I pray that You'll protect this church. That You would protect all churches that are preaching the Gospel from going astray. Protect our individual hearts who are tempted to leave our only Savior, our only hope. God, I pray that You will keep us. Father, I pray You would make us love other people so much that we won't stand for the perverting of the Gospel. That we would be courageous like Paul and the apostles, willing to go to their own death to preserve the good news because it's the only hope of salvation for sinners. Father, I pray that everyone in this room would know the absolute peace of trusting in Christ. Lord, we know that it's all slavery if you try to be good enough. You'll never be good enough. Just slavery. So Lord, I pray that every heart here would repent of even their good works, of trying to be good enough, repent of their sinful actions and turn to Jesus for grace. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.